1: Hello, and welcome to Rational Security. The there's classified and then there's classified classified edition. I am not Shane Harris of The Daily Beast.
0: A pretty good sub though. Yeah. Do not I really sound like that? We well the hello really is really <laughs> the same. Would you hello. like to introduce yourself to our audience?
1: No, that's okay. You want okay. to be a non you, you
0: should. You should introduce Liz, Liz. you have to. No, if you, you <laughs> listened last week, everybody, this is Ms. Tom. Okay. Yes, of Brookings Reza and Law an and
1: Shane Harris. And apparently my vocal, vocal doppelganger. doppelganger. Okay, At I'll just in... introduce myself as Shane Harris' vocal <laughs> doppelganger.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> if you listened last week, Ben insisted that now whenever he hears Liz say hello in the hallway, he thinks of me because it sounds like how I introduce him. I think of, and you. welcome to Rational Security.
1: Hello. There, he is. there it is. Hello and welcome to our show. There
0: audience. it is. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the show. That's
1: good. Every time we need a little Shane we just walk around the corner. And,
0: and just go see Liz. Yeah, the vocal doppelganger. Thing. Exactly. I like that. We should,
1: awesome.
2: get a, we
0: should get her a vocal doppelganger yeah. shirt. Liz, you should put this like on your LinkedIn profile. Your right. LinkedIn. The
1: vocal doppelganger of Shane yeah, Harris totally. of the Daily Actually, this one, totally. whenever I lived in Italy, there were people, um, who, like, their whole job was being like Tom Cruise's voice for like Italian films. Oh yeah. There's like one actor mm-hmm. that's like the yeah, Italian This concertors. is right. Yeah. Anyway, Shane like I mean of all the people in this room, Shane is most likely <laughs> to be the person to be portrayed in a film. Oh, right. Um and right. so sure. you could have a real career. Oh, right. Yeah. This
0: would be good. You could be me like in Norway.
1: That would be so exciting. You know,
0: like but except comes then you on. have to speak Norwegian. Do you speak any <laughs> other no. no, yeah. Spanish. Oh, what's even better. I I lived in Norway for a while. Hola,
1: yo soy Sheikers. Bienvenidos, uh, Racial <laughs> Security.
0: Seguridad de la
1: Excellent.
0: Should, we should totally get translated in Arabic. <laughs> so cool. Um, Liz, thank you for joining
1: us. <laughs> thank you. This and has for, been and fun. And for standing
0: in for me and such good stuff. <laughs> and next week, Liz will will take over the show entirely. <laughs> right. Next like week, it's will we world <laughs> with Liz. <laughs> Bye, Liz. Bye. Thanks, Liz. So now it's just the three of us. Tamara Kaufman-Wittis is away this week. I'm here with my friends Ben Wittis, hello, Ben. Hi. And Susan Hennessy. Hi,
1: Shane.
2: Maybe, hello. Maybe you are just say hello. Hello.
0: Hello, wow. Shane. That's a, I was I was prepared to be skeptical. It does sound like me. Because. It does. A girl version of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know. A lady, Shane. A lady, Shane. Mhm. You know, they, we should maybe we're like long lost
1: relatives. I doubt that. Let's launch an investigation. Okay.
0: Let's let's get that.
2: Yeah, but un- you un- seem to be related guess. to everybody.
1: Yeah. I like, mean, at
2: least everybody with a military history.
1: That's
0: true. I am of revolutionary stock, as we've discussed in the yeah. many times. I'm a, I am as well. My, my, my s- grandmother
1: was in the DAR. Was she? I think I can, auto- I can like automatically join the DAR you if can. I want. She was
0: in it, I think. I gotta get my sons in the American Revolution application process.
2: I think you need to join the DAR just as a matter of, uh, principle and, um, you know, then show up and do outrageous things at yeah. the DAR to 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 So mess you want me to infiltrate
1: heads. the DAR? <laughs> yes. I I, right. I, I, think <laughs> I mean sure. I, I guess not infiltrate. <laughs> I am a daughter of the American Revolution, think, and yes. so whether you are um, a, a credentialed
0: daughter of the American no, Revolution. No, I think I
2: think question. you should you should uh, you should show up and misbehave okay. at DAR events.
0: Totally. I'll take that, to that under
1: that. advisement, <laughs> as they say.
0: Uh, this week on the show, a Navy officer is accused of spying, possibly for Taiwan and or China. Uh, President Obama wades into the debate over how much government information should be classified. And a family in Kansas is trapped in a special kind of Internet hell. Different than the usual one that we're all accustomed to. Uh, plus, as always, object lessons. Um, let's start with this uh, Navy officer. Um, it was announced today that eight months ago, actually, a Lieutenant Commander Edward Lin, uh, who is a signals intelligence specialist uh, with the Navy, uh, was put in a brig in Chesapeake, Virginia. Uh, last Friday, he was formally charged with multiple counts of espionage and attempted espionage. We did some reporting on this in the Daily Beast. Uh, our sources are telling us that he was spying for Taiwan, not necessarily for China. Uh, he is Taiwanese by birth. Uh, but kind of had this amazing American success story. Emigrated here when he was 14. Um, changed his name to Edward because he said in a speech at his naturalization ceremony, his Chinese character name Chinese name was too many letters long. No one could pronounce it. He thought that America was going to be like Disneyland. He enrolled in the military. He became a U.S. citizen. It's this really kind of you know classic American immigrant story. Now, with a twist. With quite a twist in the end.
2: <laughs> it's like more of a the Americans kind of immigrant story.
0: Right, yeah, that dead is true. Which, by the way, back on FX, great show. Um, so we actually, I interviewed briefly his sister, uh, this week, uh, who was distraught over these charges, said he's completely innocent of them, he would never do something like this. Um, this is potentially though a big deal to have a, you know, a, a military officer accused Possibly selling secrets. That there hasn't been, I don't think, a military officer accused of espionage since. Gosh, it's been a while. I think. Yeah, but You're it not does. counting the Chelsea Manning case. But, but it, it does, does,
2: happen. It does and, happen, and um, and sometimes it happens a lot. Um, I remember when I was a teenager, there was the whole year of the spy, I think 1985, where you know every day you would turn on the television and somebody else would be. Uh, accused of espionage uh the, the the whole walker spy ring got broken up and walker that's you know about, and yeah. so so i think there's you know a uh it is not unheard of for there to be you know espionage against the united states from from within the military it,
1: the piece I'm really interested in is, um, how they found out, yeah. right? So, um, certainly post Manning, certainly post Snowden, um, definitely an increasing, um, attention and effort on, quote, the insider threat. Right. Um, right? This notion of it doesn't matter sort of how strongly you, um, you fortify your systems from, from external parties if you have a mole essentially yeah. in the building. Um, and, and so there's been a lot of sort of effort on, um, Moving, frankly, back to some of the stove piping um, stuff that, that had been swept away post-9-11, um, uh, trying to be more thoughtful about access controls, about um, not just, uh, you know, uh, uh, authenticating the identity of the individual, but also making sure each individual is only looking at information they should be looking at. Um, so I will be really interested to know sort of how, um, how this activity was discovered, right? So was it through sort of... Um, some of the new programs that the Department of mm-hmm. Defense has has rolled out um, to kind of comb for this stuff, catch this stuff, or was it through sort of the ordinary right signals intelligence or, or, or sort yeah. of um, activity collecting on um, on this foreign uh, entity? I mean, I'm not, I won't hold my breath for uh, the Navy to bring yeah, that information forward, but that yeah. is that's the one thing that really sort of piqued my interest. Of, ooh, I wonder how they got it.
0: Well, one thing it's it's sort of along those lines that we. We're just starting to suss out this week. So apparently what first alerted people to his what they thought was suspicious behavior is that he had lied about where he said he was going on a trip while on personal leave, which then begged the question, well, how did they know that he was lying? How did they find that out? I don't know if they're now tracking flight reservations for military personnel or if they were matching this up. They then went and talked to, I gather, some of his colleagues said he'd been acting suspiciously whatever that means it's still kind of vague at where this point. had he
2: actually been going
0: he, well if that's not clear either but he was arrested apparently while attempting to board a flight in hawaii bound for mainland china
2: well so it's not totally surprising that reserving a flight to mainland china will trip some
0: right some Nor does wire it mean he was if, flying for china necessarily right. But, but right so it could be that any military personnel who suddenly you know, start booking international travel. I don't know if that gets flagged or. Well,
1: so you do have a reporting obligation. Anyone who holds a, who holds an active clearance, um, <coughs> you basically have to tell uh, the right, government. Right, because no got in
0: trouble for this. Why didn't he disclose a trip to India?
1: Exactly. Um, you have to tell the government in advance, and, and essentially seek permission. Um, there's sort of there's a number of places um where you can go and kind of get permission after the fact. Um, do you, you have to ask first? I I do. I well, I did. I no longer have to. Um, okay. but I did have to ask first. Um, they did. Um. Uh, verify the information that I was actually right. going where I said I was going. Um, you know, and, and whenever you join, join, um, the military and the intelligence community, you provide all kinds of consent, um, for the government to, uh, may sort of preserve the integrity of classified information. And that, you know, that, that could in theory, you know, I, I have no personal knowledge of, of what the Navy's sort of um, procedures are, but that could include, you know, checking public records or, or, or following up or asking for, for verification of travel. Um, interestingly enough, actually, um, visiting an embassy qualifies as foreign travel, and so like you like if you were to go to an
0: embassy in Washington. Yes,
1: and so they always had this really nice, right. um, like sort of the dinners that the embassies, you know, oh, they yeah. do the open house, and yeah. we always we were never allowed to go because you couldn't. There was no way to get permission ahead of time to go to all of these quote wow. foreign countries. And you, so I never got to go. Could
2: you stand on the on the street outside it like and peering in, peering in the window like, with like a,
1: lob a Swedish meatball over the fence or something a, with a forlorn expression. <laughs> on your face? some binoculars and like a, a you know parabolic microphone uh, yeah. and uh, a, maybe a microphone.
2: Pu- puppy dog eyes and
1: mm-hmm. take
0: pity on you yeah. your security clearance yeah another thing that was interesting to me in this was I mean obviously the, the, there was first a suggestion he may have been spying for China and that it's not completely sure that he was or wasn't which obviously would be you know worrisome slash potentially not that surprising. We know the Chinese are going to great efforts to recruit people inside the United States. There's been a lot of... God, reporting. it's like
1: they're obsessed with us or something. It's like they
0: just want to know all our secrets. <laughs> God. What is it with China and secrets? What is up with them? Um, but what... The thing that I was you know is, is that there was the suggestion also to us from sources that, no, it was more likely Taiwan. So why would someone be spying for Taiwan? And what I thought was interesting was, could this be a story of somebody who is... Born in Taiwan, he actually had posted some pretty, you know, nasty things about Mao on his Facebook page, which doesn't necessarily mean he's anti-China, but could this be somebody who sort of had kind of you know patriotic birth country sort of sympathies and maybe was doing something that he thought was going to benefit the defense of Taiwan vis-a-vis China I
1: like don't know. he could have I mean like if we're in sort of the realm of other speculation um, you know? Taiwan and the United States are allies um, you know certainly all sorts of activity in the South China Sea that presumably the Navy might be involved in um, you know he might have viewed himself as um you know, a Jonathan passing,
2: Pollard-like figure, right. you must say.
1: But, but passing information that <laughs> yeah. was made, no, of no harm, <laughs> right, of no harm to the United States and was, and was sort of helping out Taiwan, right? It's sort of a, you know, who knows right. uh, what this was. Um, you know, if it was Taiwan, though, it, it would be, um, more likely to be something that was, um, you know, Taiwan sort of trying to suss out American intentions or, or right, that sort of, um, that sort of information versus, you know, the, espionage
2: yeah i mean if i were if i were the chinese intelligence (laughs) service uh and i wanted to target somebody like that i would probably try to make sure that i passed myself off as taiwanese right and i you know i wonder if um I, i i wonder if it can it can be kind of opaque which uh which security services you're dealing with.
1: This is also a very strange story because it sounds like he was potentially compensated with sexual favors. It was never sort of reported who was providing this compensation. So, I mean, the whole thing is really, um, the the public information is really sort of this bizarre yeah. tale.
2: Well, the, the great thing about these cases is that they never go to trial. They absolutely always plead out to something. Yeah. And in the context of that, you get uh, some significant set of descriptions, even uh, under about
0: Uniform Code of Military Justice. Because I found that very frustrating this week. Like, there's no, there's no docket on this guy. There's a redacted charging sheet, which you can really. Well, actually,
2: I mean, under of. the UCMJ, if you're going to plead to something, there's a much more extensive colloquy that happens hmm. between you and the military judge <laughs> than there is in the federal court system. Oh, really?
0: Um, oh, you gotta kind of bury your soul and come clean.
2: No, but you have to ask, you have to be asked a whole series of questions, um, and specifically aver to uh, a whole lot of individual things. Whereas in the federal system, you really merely have to attest that you're pleading guilty because you are guilty. Right. Whereas in, in the military system, you have to be kind of walked through a lot of facts before before a uh, uh, a plea will be accepted.
1: And notably, this is actually not the only sort of spy case of the week. Yeah, there's uh, you one know, one Ben mentioned cases. Uh, a former uh, Energy Department employee has now been sentenced to 18 months in prison. I think
2: we should go for a hat trick this week. I, exactly. I think if
1: Somebody else, come If we don't get, else, we don't get a third spy three, case... Like dead
0: celebrities.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So he
0: was sentenced to how
1: long? 18 months in prison. So this is a very strange story. Mm-hmm. This is a former employee of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Um, it sounds like he was fired and then he offered to sell a foreign government a list of email addresses, um, for DOE employees for $19,000, which strikes me as a very specific amount of money. <laughs> um, but Get sure. Right. 25, 18, 19. Deal. <laughs> deal. Um, and then, uh, apparently the FBI caught wind of this offer and then launched a sting investigation by which he sort of agreed to facilitate the sending of these spear phishing emails. Um, anyway, a, a, um, a very strange, uh, very strange story. Again, sort of a, an interesting twist on how spies. he got Old caught. Old-fashioned
0: spies are still in our midst. Yeah. Humant. Yeah, human works, man. It's,
2: uh, While we're all focused on this NSA stuff, people are recruiting actual spies.
1: But interestingly, this is not about classified information, right? This is just about a department of, an energy department employee selling uh, energy department email addresses, which are not classified. Which is a fairly good segue.
0: Which seems like that should also just, by the way, just be something that's covered in your employee handbook, but not a crime. But yes, right. Well,
1: but not an, not espionage, yeah. not sort of not sort of classified a, yeah. information. Right.
2: So what is it? What's he? What are you charged with if you're if you're selling energy de- unclassified energy department emails? to the benefit of a foreign government for 19 grand. What's he pled a- guilty
1: to one charge of attempting to damage protected government computers. Oh, well, there you
2: go. Ah, okay.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So he's a spy, but we didn't get him on spying, per se. Right. Per se. Um, but this does, as you so you're Susan, lead into this question of uh, classified information, which is the next thing we're going to talk about. Um, so what is classified Apparently, there's classified, and then there's classified, classified.
1: And then there's classified, classified, classified. classified
2: and, and, of course, classified. then there's... Really, really, really frickin' classified. Yes, exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. That's but the stuff
2: Susan.
0: Right.
1: Deals double top secret. Exactly.
0: Super dub, mm-hmm. double dog secret. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't take our word for it. This was generally a description offered by the chief classifying authority of the United States government, President Obama. On Fox News. On no. Fox he wears Sunday. a lot of hats. Goodness. He is the <laughs> chief Yeah, yeah. Oh my duck, goodness. Nut, no, sir. <laughs> um, so President Obama <laughs> gave his, uh, First interview uh, as president to Fox News Sunday. Which is,
2: by the way, was a really good interview. It was an excellent
0: interview.
1: That's Uh, his first interview as president? As president.
2: with Fox News. No,
1: no. Thank you, Benjamin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I didn't realize he's never been on Fox News.
2: No, he's never been on Fox News. (laughs) Yeah, I've
0: never been on Fox News Sunday. Chris Wallace has interviewed him in other contexts. Okay, family, all right. But only a couple of times.
2: Okay. I, I, I gotta say, I think Fox <laughs> asked questions that other networks wouldn't have asked of him, and they got interesting information. Yeah, it was a really good interview, and I thought Obama was interesting and engaging. And by the way, one of the most interesting things of it is that he expressed the fact that the biggest regret of his presidency was not having a day after plan for Libya.
0: Okay, well, let's well, talk. Let's talk about that in a minute. But first, this issue of classification, because the Libya thing and the classification thing both bear directly on Hillary Clinton's campaign for yeah. president. Um So Obama talked. It was asked this quite the questions about the investigation into Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server, and sort of in the one moment of saying, you know, well, there's an investigation ongoing. Then began to opine on the outcome of that investigation, which caused us a bit of a consternation among some people. Uh, saying that he was, well, not the outcome, but he said he was confident that she had not violated any national security information and then went on to sort of make this distinction between, you know, while there's classified information, that's not really classified, it's the kind of stuff to be an open source, but it's technically classified. Classified light. And then actual classified. Right. And making essentially what I think has become the argument of Hillary Clinton and her supporters after it's been determined that some of the information in the emails was classified is that it wasn't as if it was, you know, Code word, you know, access programs. The names of agents. As was, Petraeus
2: said, code word classified, classified stuff. stuff. Yes,
0: yeah. not that, but rather that he of turned
2: big, it over to his mistress. Right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it sounds like sort of discussion about the drone program, which you know technically is classified, but as everyone knows, is the it's the worst kept secret. It's it's, it's a not secret secret. Um, so. But that, that was, you know, so there's a political aspect of that, but then there is the President of the United States effectively making, if not explicitly, uh, then implicitly in this argument, that there is just way too much shit that is classified, uh, and that the kind of stuff that you would find on a Secretary of State's email account probably is going to be in that category of stuff that, like, yeah, technically it's classified, but it's not really a secret.
1: Well, I think two things. One, I think um, the 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 first step to meaningful transparency reform is meaningful classification reform. Right. Um, it isn't, I don't even know that it's an open secret. It's not a secret. It is well known within the intelligence community, within the military, that there's all kinds of stuff that is marked classified, and therefore you are legally obligated to protect and not discuss, um, that just shouldn't be, right? Because everyone knows it or because it's not actually a grave harm to national security or a harm to national security. you know and that uh because of the incentives of the classification system uh, you know the, the sort of even though the explicit rules say when in doubt under classify right it sort of it specifically says that um all of the incentive structures is don't make a mistake right and so so the classification authority is always going to go for the higher level of classification um this is one a real problem kind of within the intelligence community especially as they interact with the military where people tend to um operate on um not uh, on like low side emails um, and also uh, oftentimes only hold secret level clearances as opposed to sort of higher level clearances. Um So it can be a real, it can be a real operational issue because you have to get, the you have to um, be able to spread information around. Um, but also it, it's a real problem for the public. Um, when information is marked confidential, the sort of I don't know, the, the, the beige of classification, gray. right? Like, it's not Tope. even gray. It's sort of like, well, we'd rather not talk about it in a particular place. Um, you know, that's information that the public, um, uh, the public should have access to all information they can up and until it actually meaningfully harms right. national security, um, you know, and, and over-classification it meaningfully harms the process. Um, to that end, it sounds like the administration sort of um, is mulling a proposal now to eliminate confidential as a classification mark altogether um this would eliminate about i think 96% of the emails that Clinton shared were marked or that were later determined to be at the confidential level um so it would sort of um,
0: 96% of the stuff that had that,
1: that had classified right that was determined not so nothing was marked classified some stuff was determined to be classified after right. the fact of that the vast vast majority of but that this would
2: potentially but but, but let me let me just say it would be a terrible terrible thing if the president obliterated this investigation by getting rid of the classified marking um, and whatever the right answer to that question, and I favor, you know, bulk declassification of a lot of stuff, but it should wait until after the investigation
0: is done. Well, this is a question. Can so, he do that? I mean, can if he can he retroactively eliminate that way? So
1: I don't know that it. it I don't know that the statutes are. Um, I, I don't think so, right? Okay. Because the statutes are sort okay. of about intent to remove the marking at a time.
0: Right.
2: No. No. But but the point is, if if the policy decision that he's going to make were perceived to be a response to this oh, investigation, sure. or worse, an attempt to affect the investigation yeah. by taking 96% of the stuff out. And admittedly, it wouldn't do that because you can't change the rules retroactively. That would be a really bad thing. And I think it's the better part of valor for the White House would be to wait here until after Comey and company are done and they announce what they're doing in this investigation. Um, and look, that said, the president is obviously right here. You know, when you have a program, and the Don't Drone program is a good example of this, that the president can get up in public mm-hmm. and joke about with respect to Justin Bieber, right? Uh Oh, the, sorry, the Jonas Brothers, right? He warned the Jonas Brothers in public when they met Malia and Sasha, I have one, two words to say to you, predator drone. And this was a, a, a top-secret...
1: The Jonas Pro, Brothers should be so lucky.
2: You know, code word classified <laughs> program, right? And um the president is publicly joking about it. And, you know, the I think at the time, the ACLU filed a brief or made an argument that he had just declassified the program. Uh, and they, they look, they have a point. And there really is, you know, material that is um, classified for some formal, maybe legitimate reason, like you don't want to acknowledge that you're operating in Pakistan because of some, you know, understanding that you have with the Pakistani military or uh, more explicitly with the Yemeni government. But that said, it's not really a secret. And there's a real difference between that sort of material and material that is actively closely held that the president would never joke about with the Jonas Brothers in public and by the way, there's also a difference, and, you know, I I think people should focus on this more in the Hillary Clinton matter than they do. There's a difference between receiving it, being the passive recipient of somebody sending right. you something where the offense would not be on your part, Um if somebody sends you something that's not marked as classified, that doesn't seem sensitive, I think you're probably entitled as a matter of of... Uh, trust in your people to assume that that's not classified. Um, there's also a difference when you receive material uh, or transmit classified material, even actual classified material. The statute does require that you act knowingly. And if you don't know it's classified and you're not doing it maliciously or... Um, uh, the statute as a criminal matter does not punish innocent mistakes. You
0: know, as a, it's a bit of a tangent, but as, as just as in covering the email story, I think that if there actually is a case that investigators are trying to make, and I'm not entirely persuaded that there is, it's not the did you send or receive classified information, it's did you negligently set up a system in which you would have had reason to believe that classified information could have ended up in a non-secure environment.
2: Right. So, I mean, I look, I think there's lots of... I don't know of a single case that has been prosecuted federally, that has been prosecuted as opposed to dealt with administratively, in which the fundamental argument is the government's belief is that there was negligence. I, in, there are cases where that's been the defense, yeah. there wasn't anything malicious here, there was just carelessness but the government does oh, not does not prosecute cases where it thinks somebody was just being careless
1: but actually this this sort of question of can you be careless or you know the the even ability to be negligence or the risk of negligence i think speaks to the need to eliminate things like confidential because whenever you have a system in which what is protected is that information which obviously needs to be protected i think you reduce um some of the confusion right because whenever there is sort of this this area of confusion where you're not quite sure um you know, what is classified or what isn't classified or also, you know, frankly, the fact that senior officials in the United States government or in the, in the United States military get a different set of rules than were junior, uh, members. I have to say, um, you know, we did, uh, uh, the, a book party, um, with General Hayden, um, where he discussed, uh, a which num- Shane
2: did not come Which Shane did not,
1: one, once again, Shane did not attend. Um, you know, I don't which know who that is. was a really, it was really a remarkable interview. And I, and I thought, um, I thought he gave all kinds of insights, um, both that were contained in his book and also sort of um, just insights uh, sort of about his experience, um, a lot of which were things that I would never dream of discussing in public. I mean, even things that aren't all that interesting, yeah. continuity of operations plans, things like that, that I just, it wouldn't occur to me to open my mouth because I think I would get in a lot of trouble for doing so. Um, and so I think there's sort of, there's a lot of things going on here, right? There's this sphere of information that is a classified, isn't not classified. There's some sense of... Well, some people are allowed to talk about some stuff, but that doesn't mean everybody. Right. There's these leakers. And so we now have this system in which instead of what we should, what we actually need are clear rules where what, what is protected, what needs to be protected is robustly protected. We have this kind of mishmash world in which I do think that, that somebody could negligently make a, a pretty serious mistake, actually. So, so
2: I agree with that. And I think the, I, I think the argument for being very rigorous with yourself does this need to be protected? If it does need to be protected, uh, protect it seriously. And if it doesn't need to be protected, don't even try Um, is is the right way to do it. Uh, Here's the problem, I think, with eliminating the confidential category. Uh, You might cause a great deal more material to be classified at the secret level because Somebody then, if they if they look at a bi, at the mm. bi, at the piece of information, and now their choice isn't to they don't have F O U O or maybe well, no,
1: they would still have F O U O. So you
2: still have F O U O, which
1: is unclassified for official use only. So that's a marking that is something is not classified, but you are not permitted to share it outside the government. Right.
2: Although there's no sanction uh, criminally for doing so, um, and. So, okay, so somebody then has to decide, is it classified or is it not? And they're going to say yes, because the same incentive structures still apply. It's an incentive structure in which you don't want to make a mistake. And now you no longer have the confidential uh, file uh, option, so you use the secret option. And so my concern is you might get a much larger amount of information classified at a higher level.
0: But couldn't you, sorry, couldn't you, couldn't you also, though, prevent that by, in the guidance that would, in a, you know, of course, be issued with this change, essentially the DNI or whomever could say, and by the way, no, this is not permission to just move everything that was once considered confidential up a notch in the ladder into secret. These are the criteria for secret information. I am
2: certain such guidance will be given.
0: And be totally ignored. And I'm
2: equally certain (laughs) that such guidance will be, uh, given the deference it is entitled to, which is to say taken into the bathroom and used as toilet paper.
1: Right, but okay, so, so certainly some. So certainly the move to eliminate confidential would not result in removing the confidential just declassifying everything that's currently in the confidential bucket or would be. Right, There's going to be some information that will get moved up, hopefully sort of a, a relatively small uh, subset of that information. Um, uh, that said, there is a use case for this. Um The Brits, actually, the UK, uh, eliminated their confidential marking about two years ago. Um, So maybe they will share their... Uh, the lessons learned from their transition.
2: By the way, best best single anecdote in Hayden's book is the account of his call to GCHQ about continuity. If anything happens to NSA, you guys... uh,
1: You're in charge. You're in
2: charge of American signals intelligence. I think that is actually... The most remarkable revelation in yeah. the entire book that we, after 9-11, told the Brits they get our SIGINT operations if anything happens to Fort Meade. Okay. They're in charge of it.
0: They're the backup. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, the B team.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, they're
2: gonna rule Britannia. I think you know. Yeah, we've like, got a revol- war
1: with those people, and <laughs> now we're yeah, like, what's like, like, bad? button that you just click it's like transfer. Yeah, <laughs> it just kind of goes <laughs> over there. Like just upload. like upload. Just hit the flag, right? It's like the <laughs> exactly. Union Jack. In <laughs>
0: initiating sync.
1: Anyway, it made me
2: feel really good about all the about spelling it.
1: changes and everything. Yeah, exactly. All these Z's move to O-U's S's. Get it made me feel yeah. so
2: good about the about the. The special relationship yes. that, that we've actually... It is a
1: special relationship. It is. I, I love
2: the bridge. There's
0: a schedule to take care of these things. <laughs> um, okay, uh, let's move on to our, our third wordplay. Um, this was a d- terrific and, and terrifying story, uh, Infusion, uh, by Kashmir Hill, who's a terrific reporter uh, on all things technological surveillance and privacy. So in the middle of Kansas, actually... In practically the dead geographic center, the of, the geographic center of the United States. Two hours from the geographic center the United States of America? On a small town owned by the Vogelman family, now a woman by the name of Taylor owns it, um, is basically a special little kind of, of internet hell. Um, Susan, you can elaborate on this, but essentially what's happening here is that. Thousands, I think it is. Thousands and thousands of IP addresses. Oh, no,
1: 600 million IP
0: addresses. 600 million IP addresses that cannot be tied to a geographic place are defaulting to this one farm in Kansas because of this glitch in a mapping company's... Uh, right, system.
1: so so it's actually not quite a glitch. So I, I agree, this is really it's a, a feature, re- not a bug. <laughs> it's a feature. Um, right. So this is um, this is a really remarkable example of sort of of great digital investigative journalism, and one that actually I think will have um, a positive impact on these people's yes, lives, um, I agree. and and it is a great argument for thoughtful uh, design. Um. But essentially, uh, you know, internet protocol addresses are <clears throat> the way two computers speak to one another. Um. Sort of uh, in recent years, uh, a number of companies have emerged to provide uh what they call IP intelligence um, and so this is mapping the IP address to a physical location um, so sort of at its most precise you can map an IP address to a house um, you can map it to a block uh, to a zip code and sort of at its loosest you can map it to a country and so there are these, um, <laughs> these
0: those right so a
1: slight <laughs> difference between these countries uh, between these um, these levels of precision so there is this company I think it's called max map
0: max mind max
1: mind um, that offers this this, this digital mapping service. Um, and so whenever they get an IP address that they can't figure out anything more about than what country it is, um, what they do is they default to a location. They set the sort of this default location of where it is. And so what they did was they picked this default location in the middle of the United States of America. The actual um, middle. Right. Dead Which happens to be um these these poor people's and So like <laughs> why don't we just they've been raided know? by the FBI. What do you mean they, why don't they don't So know.
2: like the mapping company, if they get like if they can't get anything useful, if they can't give the client anything useful, why don't they just say we don't know where that IP address is.
0: Well, because they do have a sense that it's in the United States. Right, so they know States,
2: that it's in somewhere States. in the United States. We can't give you any. Well, I think why do they a, give? A, I have a
0: feeling they may start doing that? Exactly why
2: do they give no, a actually, particular
1: address? Actually, they've agreed to change their policy to put these default locations because there are a number um, in the middle of bodies of water, and so oh. that they don't in fact Because this is not just this, this one family. Um, don't, don't, the, this happens to all over kinds over of people. So wait,
2: what's happened to this poor family? So this poor family—they've oh, so been
1: yeah. raided by the FBI and. Dylan's visit them because they think people are committing our suicide su- hotline suicide
0: show up cuz like they think that they, they to get a call from a suicide outline and it falls there. Somebody left a broken, dirty toilet in their driveway for unknown reasons. They get harassed.
1: Right, you know, a threatened that, they, that they're that they violating uh, intellectual property. Um, you know, I mean, they just, all of these people online, um, you know, their, their address is all over the internet of these sort of digital detectives that, you know, have searched out, uh, you know, people who've left mean comments on their website or, or engaged in cyber crimes and all this other stuff. Um, and it's because, um, It's because whenever they go to look up this IP address, they see this house and they think, all right. This is the IP address. It's in that house. Done. And actually, what's interesting is not just sort of the, the amateur detectives on the internet, but it apparently is fooling actual detectives, right? Um, so the FBI is actually responding, mm-hmm. um, to a series of calls. And there are a number of stories, um, that are not just, it's not just this farm. It's also, um, an individual, um, in Ashburn, uh, Georgia, Ashburn, Virginia, yeah, somewhere like that, a- who happens to, to live near a data center. Um, and so the FBI raided his house because they thought that a government laptop was inside. I think there are 17 million IP addresses associated with his house, um, and so it does call into question. Um, you know, we use uh, the existence of, of of IP IP address evidence in in criminal prosecutions all the time. Um, is this sort of so exceptional that we don't really need to be concerned about it, or is this a real reason to say? We need to rethink our confidence um, in what Internet protocol and, and, and digital information in general, what they can tell us about sort of the real world.
2: Well, so there's <laughs> there's a number of additional elements of this. Um, so one is that, you know, uh, so first of all, you know, Cody and a couple of other people and I have been doing this study of sextortion, these online sexual extortions. We've been looking at 80 or 90 cases of this, all of which require some degree of ip mapping to resolve and so you know if you imagine that more and more people's ip <coughs> addresses are not physically locatable and all default to a few locations uh, that's actually a very very challenging idea from the point of view of a lot of different categories of Uh, federal investigations and, and other investigations. Secondly, uh, as, uh, is discussed in David Chris's recent paper, uh, uh, which is uh, published by Hoover but uh, available on Lawfare, um, you know, the amount of IP address masking going on through the uses of virtual private networks is skyrocketing right now. And that has very big implications, not just for people in Kansas who, to whom, you know, it's going to default to, but also, you know, to the ability of entities like law enforcement and NSA to know the locations of the people that they are conducting surveillance against. A lot of law depends on whether people are domestic or foreign or local or not. And you could really imagine a world in which... You know, location was very hard to discern, being at least as challenging a problem as the going dark issues that the FBI is now concerned about.
1: Right, and I thought one of the really sort of interesting insights in this piece was, uh, you know, Hill writes that um, one of the problems here is that IP addresses are being used for a purpose that they weren't originally designed for. They were never never intended
0: for this to be like. Find things in a house, but she says, "Yeah, but that's what people use it for."
1: Exactly, and and I think she makes um, she makes a really excellent analogy. Said it's a little bit like social security numbers. Social security numbers were designed to track your wages over your lifetime. They were not designed to sort of be this this proof of identity token. No, but the Estonian
2: digital residency is designed for that. Oh
0: lord. They probably don't have this problem in Estonia. They don't. It's not a very big country.
1: It's a very yeah, small I'm sure country. It's probably easy to just
0: ask somebody if they've seen your phone, they can probably find it for you.
1: Just look around. Can you look under the cushion? Oh I
0: saw it. <laughs> yeah, I saw it here. Um Wow. Great story and props to Cashmere Hill for doing some like serious like public advocacy journalism. Yeah, it I thought like, I just
1: thought it was a really neat piece. Yeah, I think the
0: company's actually gonna try and fix this now and these people will have some peace.
2: I still don't sense. understand why they need when the answer is we don't know. Why they need a geographic location, whether in the middle of a body of water or anywhere else, just to represent we don't know. Why don't they just say we don't know? We can't locate that IP address in physical space.
0: Maxmind, you should sponsor a podcast because we're solving your problems.
2: Yeah, we're, we're
1: pointing them out. We're not actually solving them. We're right, just that's fine.
0: We're good
2: at that. Time. Hey, speaking of, speaking of 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 sponsoring podcasts, I noticed the other day listening to Radio Lab that Mailchimp had given a challenge grant to Radiolab, um, uh, if they could get a certain number of sustaining members, MailChimp was gonna kick in $25,000. I just wanna say to MailChimp, uh, what about rational security? Yeah,
1: what about us? We use MailChimp.
2: We, 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 well, Lawfare uses MailChimp. And we should, uh, we want that challenge grant too. So I'm issuing a challenge grant to, to MailChimp. To challenge grants. MailChimp. We yeah, challenge, challenge you to we, challenge
0: us to get Exactly. Money. Yeah, we'll take that challenge.
1: Please just write just, us a check. Just give us money,
0: please. We yeah. Need, we need a lot of money. Um Okay, if we want object lessons. Um, I actually have two this week. One is I'm going to log roll for another podcast. Uh, oh, what? Just kidding. Um You may be listening to this podcast, and you certainly know National Public Radio, but uh, for listeners for our podcast, if you're not listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. It's a good podcast. It's, it's an a excellent good podcast. podcast. And I think uh, it's got great people on it. Um, Sam Sanders, uh, my buddy Sue Davis, who covers Congress for NPR. If you like the way that we informally discuss national security and talk the way that we actually do in our normal lives, that's how they talk on this podcast. Check it out. It's very good, particularly uh, if you, too, are... Obsessed and terrified by the idea of a commander in chief Trump. Uh, they do, there's, a, there's a lot of Trump talk <clears throat> these days. You know, Sight, by the avoid. way, has a Trump cast devoted just to Donald Trump.
1: Oh, God. It's,
0: it's quite, it's quite delightful. It makes no appearance whatsoever of being a partial, and I, I just think it's delightful. Uh, but my actual object is a new book, uh, which I have a copy of here. Not available in stores yet. Missing Man by Barry Meyer of the New York Times. This is the story of Robert Levinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, um, retired FBI agent who, uh, was working on a contract for the CIA, uh, was kidnapped, uh, whereabouts still unknown, although he's believed to be held in Iran. Many people think he's dead. Um, but this purports to be, and I've started reading it, and it's really good so far, sort of the, the narrative of Bob Levinson and what happened. Um, it looks like, um, Barry just got a lot of great access and dug really deeply into this story, so... Um, pre-order a copy, uh, biography, true crime, if you're a fan of that, and following the Levinson case, check out Missing Man.
1: Excellent. Ben, do you have an object?
2: I do. My object <laughs> lesson is, uh, a very amusing New York Times editorial yesterday, um, that, uh, complained or strongly urged, uh, the European Union to follow the U.S. lead in intelligence reform after 9-11 in response to terrorist attacks. Europe could take a page from America's experience, the New York Times wrote. After 9-11, Congress created an independent commission to investigate how al-Qaeda carried out the attacks. That effort led to many reforms in government structure, regulations, and spycraft. The system isn't perfect, but there have been big improvements, etc. Uh, Lisa Monaco, the top White House counterterrorism official, put the matter well in a speech last month. Europe, she said, must do more, quote, to disrupt plots by continuing to break down barriers to increase cooperation and intelligence sharing among agencies and to do so consistent with the rule of law. So I was really interested in this editorial because... I, um, can't recall seeing any editorials by the New York Times that did anything other than object to, uh, efforts to break down. They're on board now. Break down walls between intelligence and law enforcement, increase information sharing. Um, and I was interested that, um, basically the New York Times is urging Europe to do everything it objected to uh, in the United States, and doing so apparently without irony. Uh, so, uh, here's to uh, the New York Times uh, wishing uh, on Europe our own pain.
0: Has Jim Bennett
1: started there yet?
2: Uh, I don't know. Maybe if I don't knows, know. This is the beginning
0: Maybe
1: they have just seen the lights.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think somebody on so, <coughs> so I think if if, if it would be uh, good for. It would be very good for James Bennett to change the editorial direction of the New York Times editorial page, but he if this is uh him, uh he should do so with a little bit more cognizance of where the paper has been in the past. All
1: right. My Susan. My object lesson is a tweet um from uh uh Jamil Jaffer of the A C L U. Okay. So, which one? So, this is, um, uh, Jamil Jaffer, not of the ACLU, uh, J-A-M-I-L Jaffer. Um, so, Jamil Jaffer of the ACLU, obviously, um, on one side of the national security sort of political policy spectrum. Um, Jamil, uh, Jaffer, I believe it's Jamil N. Jaffer. Correct. Um, former Bush administration official, uh, decidedly on the other end of the, um, national security, uh, policy spectrum. But there are, in fact, two Jamil Jaffers in, in sort of the national security space. Um, and so Jamil Jaffer um, uh, <coughs> retweeted someone who had directed people. Um, uh, Jameel D. Jaffer had written a piece in the New York Times, uh, an op-ed uh, criticizing Apple's position in Apple versus FBI. And uh, Jamil Jaffer of the East L.U. had written, not me, exclamation point, and was directing people to the other. <coughs> so I offered um, on Twitter, and I will offer here, my um, sneaky trick for sussing out, you know, in the national security world, it's not always Easy to define people's politics, right? This is this can be sort of a confusing space. Um, so if you want to find out someone's sort of national security policy orientation, all you say is um, the good Jamil Jaffer, or the bad Jamil Jaffer, and then you see who they refer to, <laughs> Ooh, um, and then trick. you know. Uh, and so that is my my you object lesson is l- exactly well. So uh, I, who is I mean, the good Jamil Jaffer?
2: So you know, th- I have a bit of a history with this issue. The the uh, uh, Non- another,
0: is there
2: a bad bin The 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 non ACLU <laughs> Jameel Jaffer approached me a while back with uh the idea that what the world really needed was uh a Jameel Jaffer v Jameel Jaffer debate.
1: I totally endorse this. Um
2: and asked if uh we would be interested in hosting, you know, and it could um, be
1: Jameel to Jameel and yeah, it would be exactly. like a two
2: um and you know we we um uh, and we've never managed to put it together largely, I think, because ACLU Jamil Jaffer has, uh, I think limited interest in, in this idea. But I always thought it was a kind of a great idea you could have. It would even be a good television show, Jamil mm-hmm. v. Jamil, kind of like Hannity and Combs. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a two national security lawyers with more or less exactly the same name. Uh, from very different sides of the spectrum. And the
1: two Scott Shanes, um, both recently wrote an op-ed in the New York Times that was very cute about both being Scott Shane. But there's One, two Scott there are two Scott Shanes. One Scott Shane is national security reporter Scott Shane. The other is um, is a business professor who also happens to write for the New York Times. There are actually two Scott oh Shanes of God. the New York Times. So make confused this is very cute.
0: People confuse me with Scott Shane.
1: Well, there you go. You should you should have gotten in on their byline no of the got two an Scott, Scott Shanes. <laughs>
0: For Scott Shane, which I promptly wrote back to the sender and was like, You didn't mean to send this
1: to me. I mean it'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. But to I'd see, be happy to hear your
2: story. It would be interesting to see how many like <coughs> if we could say Scott Shane Harris could we like Sir Walter Scott Shane mm-hmm. Harris. Like how many names could we line up?
0: I'm probably related to most of them.
1: This is a good game. Well, let's monetize this somehow.
0: Huh? At least we need some stuff. We need to do something
1: without um, Mailchimp's help. Yeah,
0: it's coming down to this. <laughs> All right, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Rational Security is a production of Spaghetti on the Wall Productions. You can find links to our past shows and our other productions at SpaghettiOnTheWallProductions.com. You can follow us on Twitter at R-A-T-L Security. Uh, please, when you download the podcast, or if you've already subscribed, go back, leave a review, leave comments. It really helps us out and helps other people find this terrific, totally impoverished show. Uh, the podcast is edited, as always, by Jen Howell. Our music was performed this week by Liz Tom and the doo Doppelgangers. Excellent. All right. Not That's bad. Cool. All yeah. right. Didn't
2: not look bad. Oh,
0: yeah, That's good. No, good. All right. Good. good. Okay, good.
2: That's cute. It's, a it's cute. Game. Or maybe it's just a Liz, a nice Tom do- Liz Tom and the and yeah. The Doppelgangers.
0: The mm-hmm. Doppelgangers. That's a whole new genre we've invented. Um, no, of course, you know who performs our music as always. Sophia Yan. Thank you, Sophia. On behalf of my good friends Ben Wittes and Susan Hennessy, I'm Shane Harris. And thanks to Liz Tom. We'll talk to you next week.